Hey guys, in this episode, we're going to be talking to Tatiana Whitlock. It's going to be a great time, so stick around. Guns, gear, and training tips from the best instructors around the world. Walther Arms presents Walther Radio. Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Chris. Welcome to this episode of Walther Radio. We've been gone for a little while. We had some scheduling conflicts and uh, had a lot of cool stuff going on behind the scenes here at Walther that we've been working on. But we're stepping back into it. Uh, first and foremost, this episode, just like every other episode of the Walther Radio podcast, is brought to you by the Walther 30-Day Money Back Guarantee. You can buy just about any Walther that you'd like. You can shoot it for up to 30 days, a million rounds if you want to, if you decide you do not like it. Or maybe there's another gun you'd like better, you'd like a different size, you bought the PDP uh, full size, you would have liked the F-Series or something like that. Just get a hold of us. Within 30 days, we will refund 100% of your purchase price up to MSRP. We will get you a shipping label, and we will even refund your tax on that purchase. So uh, that's the Walther 30-Day Money Back Guarantee. We're very proud of it. Moving right along, our guest today is the National Director of Training of Girl in a Gun. She is a Walther Defense Division member herself, and uh, she's a fantastic person. Very funny and uh, lots of fun to be around uh, on the range, especially. So, Tatiana Whitlock, how are you doing today? Wonderful. We spent the day doing school enrollment stuff. So this is a nice break to get back to talking about firearms. Ah, yes. Yeah, you go, uh, yeah, that, that stuff, yeah, it could be pretty brain draining. So hopefully this will be a lot more fun for you to talk about than uh, school schedules and locker combinations and things like that. So you, uh, you've recently added another member to the Defense Division uh, this year. Is that correct? I did. I added a 0.25 version of me. She's a little pint-sized clone it's kind of crazy you look at pictures of her and it's like i really you just shrunk me if you want to know what i look like at april that's what we've got right now in little miss esme and she's changed a lot of things in our lives for the better uh firearms being one very big piece that's kind of behind the scenes as far as you know life goes but it's what we live and breathe every day she uh has been an incredible education and me relearning what it means to carry and home defense and just rethink everything i thought i knew it's kind of a fascinating way to reintroduce yourself to your own profession. Kids change, uh, they change a lot of stuff. And uh, what's really interesting talking to you is that I was really interested in talking to you about what exactly has changed in your regiment for concealed carry? Has your, your gun of choice changed? No, it's still the F-Series. I'm surprised okay. I'm still able to pull that off. Um, a few little modifications to a few things. Some, some products I didn't expect to incorporate into my daily carry made it possible to start carrying a lot sooner and keep carrying a big gun, which I appreciate because it's my favorite and I love it. And, you know, you should probably be betting your life on the gun you love the most, right? And know the most intimately as far as your skills go. So I'm very, very pleased that I did not have to give that one up for something else. What were some of the products that you used? You mentioned were those holsters and... So the holster that I'm sure nobody is surprised to hear me say, if you're a gun lover, is the Enigma, the Filster Enigma. What that did was it allowed me to put the gun on my body where I didn't have issues from scarring, C-section scarring, right, post-surgery issues. So I could really get very specific with where I could place the gun. So that was, aside from being concealable and all of that stuff, I could really tune and tweak it. They also have that pad system, the little bumper, soft little bumpers on the back that help distribute pressure beautifully, which really made a big impact as well. And then the other element that made that made it amazing is their 
sport belt, the elastic belt that goes around. It's wider, it's more forgiving, and it gives you some more back support to carry the burden of the weight of the holster. So post baby and post surgery, that was the holster that made it made it a big deal. But even that wasn't enough uh, to really make it pain free because you're super tender and everything is healing. And it's it's like, let's just take the soft, squishy parts of you and then make them hurt. And then we're going to jam a solid metal thing on top of it just because we can. So I needed some more support in addition to that. So there's these like, think about them as um, lower back supports. It's not a girdle. It's not a belly band. It's a something that PT would issue you that wraps all the way around you. Velcro's back atop itself. It's your entire midsection that this covers. It's almost like a belly binder. And then there's two more crossovers, like a big X in front of you that are elastic. And that created some structural support for my back, um, protected me be between, put that protective layer between me and the gun itself. And believe it or not, I was really shocked to find that with that belly binder plus the Enigma and normal life clothes, I was able to start carrying again, even post-op, eight weeks after having her. So without that, it wasn't possible. Without that belly binder and the Enigma combined, it just wasn't going to happen. So that was my magic recipe. Okay, this might be a, a dumb question, but I genuinely don't know. Um, did you carry while you were pregnant? I did up to a certain extent, but I had a really unpleasant pregnancy. Details don't need to get into there, but ambulatory a couple of times. It was pretty sketchy. Um, ended up being, you know, having to come off the road, period. So I didn't really need to on-body carry for the second half of the pregnancy because I was pretty close to home. Close to home, close to hospitals. Other people were driving me places because it wasn't safe for me to drive. I was like passing out driving, which is generally speaking, a, it's a bad idea. Not Usually bad. So my off-body carry became my when I'm out and about carry because having stuff on you. So think about it this way. It's one thing to have, you know, like a little Santa belly going on if you're a dude. You know, your little beer belly, you know, it's like rocking Santa caliber. It's another thing if there's something inside that that's kicking back. And so yeah. to get pinched between the baby and the gun is not a good time. And I had a very active little little munchkin in there. So on body carry could have done could have worked as far as concealment goes but as far as comfort and actually getting through the day without jumping out of your skin it wasn't viable so i turned into off-body carry when i was working around what i ended up doing though is taking my home staging of firearms a little more seriously because we had people coming over to deliver products you know groceries were being delivered so i had unknown people showing up at the house all the time which if you're in our line of work you, you're paying attention to all of that that's now a new level of you know interest in your home and in you because you're all cute and pregnant and everybody asks you questions and then they think they know you and then it gets it's not it's in a level of exposure at a very sure. safe, safe place in your world so how i staged home defense tools kind of my concealed carry lifestyle transitioned into well now my house is my carry so how sure. do I stage and set that up no, that's that's actually really interesting. Um, if you can't, yeah, if you can't carry on your person, then you kind of have to be stashing uh, defensive tools everywhere. So, uh, what would you say was the most surprising thing? Uh, maybe something that you hadn't planned on um, before and after pregnancy, as far as carry goes. You know, the we've all done a million draws from concealment, a million plus draws from concealment. We always talk about all right, on body, you're gonna have to manage the cover garment. Cover garment is arguably the most complicating frustrating 
piece of carrying concealed. Logistically, that's the nightmare. If you wear hoodies and t-shirts all the time, no big deal. But if you're a girl and you wear blouses and sweaters and the garment itself changes, it's not always the same garment. It doesn't have the mm -hmm. same movement, the same stretch. It's they're di All of them are different. So negotiating those differences is a real challenge. One of the things I had completely forgotten about because my first two are, they're 14 and 13 years old. So they came before I started carrying concealed. By the time I was carrying concealed, they were walking around, right? They were already, they were, they were fully like mobile, independently mobile humans. Now that I have Esme, I'm realizing that not only do you have to manage the cover garment, but now you have to manage an object that's squirming, that's pinned to one side while trying to clear the garment away from the guy. So try that. Try pulling like a, you know, a duffel bag, a 30 pound duffel bag, having it wrap around you front and back on one side and then carry where you normally carry. If it's appendix, awesome. And then try logistically clearing your garment rapidly from that. That I wasn't quite prepared for. Um, if she's in socks, it's a little easier. If she's got little booties with rubber soles, it's not a good time, right? Because that material then gets stuck on the bottom of the little booty sole shoe things. Mm -hmm. Now she's just in socks. She'll never wear shoes. We'll be fine. But that was that surprised me. I was not expecting that little piece of it. Um, throwing your weight around with a baby, the heavier they get, changes your stance and how you're just normally naturally standing. You tend to shift your weight over to one hip to bear the load of the kid. So your stance is not the stance you are, you know, used to and accustomed to. And then of course, this goes without saying, how are your one-handed shooting skills, one-handed drawing skills? Um, how much of your body are you willing to expose in a forward stance when you're holding the most precious thing in front of your heart, right? Are you willing to body block with the baby or does that fundamentally change how you present and stand, stand facing your problem or your target. So there's all kinds of new ideas to consider. You know, personally, I'm going to turn sideways and I don't normally ever shoot one-handed sideways like it's a competition match, you know, bullseyes at 100 yards and weighted 22s kind of stance. But if I've got my child in my arms, I'm going to put a wall of meat, i.e. me, between them and her. I'm going to have, I don't want her in the way. I want to get her out of the way. So as you unpack those things and start thinking them through, can you clear the gun with the infant in your arms without shifting the baby to do it? Or do you have to? Um, how is your garments and the baby's garments influencing accessing the gun? How does your stance change? What is your footwear that day? Wearing flip-flops with baby in arms trying to deal with firearms is not my idea of a good time either. So oddly enough, footwear comes into play, footwear selections. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, how what is your strategy for your defensive stance or your presentation to the target? You also have to get pretty realistic about your expectations for movement, how quickly you think you're going to, I'll put air quotes around, get off the X with a little butter in your arms, you know? Um, and then what injuries do you have or, you know, healing issues do you have postpartum that will limit your mobility? And that was something I wasn't quite ready for either. Um, this was, she was my, she's my last and my first C-section and had my first been a C-section, she'd be an only child, right? So <laughs> I was not prepared for that experience. Uh, and I've learned quite a bit about what that means to be post-op and to have that post-op vulnerability come into play where you're just not, you know, you're not physically quite back to who you were yet, even eight months later. 
So I think uh, that brings up a really interesting point. You know, most people purchase a firearm for personal protection and they do it not just because they want to protect themselves, but because they want to protect, you know, their children or their grandchildren, their, you know, their nieces, nephews, whatever it may be. But nobody really has a curriculum. Not not many people have a curriculum based around training uh, an adult how to protect children. Is that something that you're going to start piecing together? Is it something you have pieced together? Is it a dedicated curriculum for something like this? There is an incredible class out there. It's uh, look up Melody Lauer with Citizens Defense Research and Chris Seifert. They put on an outstanding program called the Armed Guardian. If you're interested in a comprehensive class, they do a beautiful job. Elements of that program are sprinkled through or concepts of that are sprinkled through a variety of the different classes I already teach. So defensive handgun, we do a lot of one-handed work. Um, In carrying with confidence, we do range baby, which is your range bag on one hip, drawing from concealment, doing certain things. And we work out those ideas and those concepts. And it's kind of like a learning lab workshop where people find out real quick uh, what all of this really means. Of course, I've been teaching this for a while, but now getting to do it for reals now with the squirming munchkin, I wish I could put an orangutan in their range bag and then have them do it because that would be a little more realistic. You know? <laughs> yeah, tuck a puppy under your shirt and draw. Then we'll give it a go. Yeah. So while there's not a dedicated class to it that I teach, that I would say that those folks put on the best one that I know of. And again, very comprehensive. Um, just curious, since you've taken their class, what ages does does their class cover, if you're familiar, if you're comfortable speaking for them, I guess? Um, I'd have them speak to it, but I know they do some infant, ar- infant in arms, as well as like if you're out with teenage kids. I mean, and if you think about it, if you have children, little kids are actually fairly easy because they are fairly controllable. They're scoopable. You know, you could scoop them up and go depending on how many of them you have. If you have five to seven year olds, that gets a little sporty. You know, you get toddlers, which are still scoopable, but you get a couple of those and a five-year-old. Now you've got a scoopable, a stage five leg clinger and one that's frozen in place that changes where you're going to go and how you're going to do it. And then if you're really it gets real dicey if you've got tween boys because tween boys will think that they can become Superman and stop a moving bus and save mom, right? They've got this like crazy superhero element of their brain that's in play um, and they really think that they can protect you. So they tend to act uh, independently when you need them to least. So that's a piece to consider as far as child development goes. And then it just every age is a different beast to unpack as far as what to expect and how to interact with those kids uh, throughout time. And for many years, I've taught the lecture course called Kids and Guns Can Coexist. And we really discuss those differences developmentally from infant to really 25. You know, it's amazing how many adult families that have adult kids come to me and say, I don't know you know, my 20-somethings think they know it all because they've been playing video games and now they've got this stuff or they realize we've always had it and they just, wow, figured out that we have this and that they're not okay with it. They don't never had a class. And it's it's fascinating. You know, your children are your children regardless of what age they are. So my dad's 82 and I'm still his four-year-old in his brain. <laughs> so Yeah, it's funny it, how that works. Yeah. Logistically, it's a it's a party. Um, you'd mentioned uh, training with your shooting bag or your gun bag on the range. Is there any? Could you expound on that just a little bit? And, and you know, maybe I don't want you to give your whole class away for free, but just so the listener can kind of maybe take something to the range to practice next time. Mm-hmm. 
So whenever you're doing one-handed work, you got to do something with your non-active hand. You got to put, I mean, put it on top of your head, hook it into a pocket, right? Around a belt loop, something. You got to get that hand out of play or immobilize it. Some folks put a tennis ball and duct tape, you know, the, the shooter's hand so it's completely rendered useless. You uh, have this in um, basically staged, faked, or feigned injury, right? To simulate injury. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that the more higher probability for me to need to shoot one-handed is I'm a one-trip wonder from the car with my groceries, right? So it's like I've got 50 pounds of groceries on my left arm because I'm making one trip into the house. Or I've got two labradoodles on leashes in my left hand and they, you know, basically got those leashes and a knot around my wrists and I can't let go. Or I'm holding an infant or I'm opening a door, or I'm warding off my other children. There's a multitude of reasons why you would really need to do this in the world of concealment that don't involve, you know, like bullets and bandages kinds of stuff. So the closest I could hopefully ever have to get to doing that is to work with a partner who is holding on to that hand, standing behind you, holding on to that hand or that wrist as though they were a child, kind of weighing that arm down a little bit, not with a ton of pressure, but with some which engages the body, shifts your balance, right? If you have a range buddy, you can do that safely with. And in those classes, we have a lot of safety rules about how we do that kind of work. And then if you don't have anybody to help simulate that weight or that shift in balance in your body, your range bag is an opportunity to do that. And most people's range bags are somewhere in like the 25 to 30 pound range on typically, you know, unless you came for like an, you know, taking over a small third world country or something. That bug out bag. Right? You know, so you've got a couple boxes of ammo in there. You've got a couple firearms. You've got all your cleaning stuff. You've got a little bundle of awesome. And they're typically bags that you can zip closed so you won't have everything spray all over the range. They're awkward. They're clunky. They're not meant to be carried on your hip. So they're perfect. About that weight is the, you know, around the weight of a one and a half year old, one to one and a half year old, depending on how chunky your kiddos are. And so it simulates that and it's enough weight to kind of tip you, to, to throw you a little bit. Um, for folks who don't hit the gym all the time, that can be exhausting very quickly to balance that bag in one arm on that hip because it's not a perfect balance and it wants to fall and it wants to slip. Welcome to holding toddlers. So it's a great simulator, right? A very safe, great simulator. The only thing it doesn't have is little legs wrapping around your side, kicking you and getting caught in your belt. And, you know, they're lace, they're shirt, they're basically like moving your cover garment and suddenly your cover garment's bound up behind your grip and you got to shuffle that down. So you don't have the, the squirrely element of it, but you do mm. get a lot of the uncomfortable and the awkward and that there's immense value in the uncomfortable and the awkward. And negotiating your equipment, accessing it, drawing, clearing the garment one-handed, multiple methods of doing that safely and successfully. Um, I encourage people to bring uh, light, medium, and heavyweight garments to the range. So a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, maybe a winter jacket or vest. If it's not 90 degrees on the range, we cycle through. We actually add the layers and you have to fight through working through all of those seasonal layers. So summer you know, those muddy interim seasons we all have, we have a million names for us that exist between depths of hell and Arctic, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's where we're at now. I think it's like 114 or something outside. I don't know what's happening. Like you call the scientists on that one. 
But those interim seasons where you probably have multiple layers, but you're not zipped mm -hmm. up. And then add that range bag and then work your way through with all of that garment in play. T-shirts are easy, man. If all you're ever doing is drawing from concealment in a T-shirt, that's, I mean, come sure. on. Challenge yourself. Like, okay, you know, add a vest, zip it up, now give it a go. Add a vest, zip it up, then throw your cell phone in your right side pocket if you're a righty. See how that works out. Throw your keys into the other one. Oh, okay, right? Get you, start moving your bulk out of the cargo pockets and into your outer garment, and then see how that influences your work from concealment. It's a really interesting study. That is a really interesting study. It brings up a good point. I was going to bring it up uh, here at some point, but um, it, it's up now. So let's just let's keep exploring it. Uh, I, I live in the Instagram world. That's part of my job. That's that's a lot of what I see is the Instagram shooter, which is a lot of times, especially concealed carry. That's what you're talking about. It's it's guys going for the the personal record PR time from a light shirt. They're standing up straight. And uh, I have I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and the four-year-old especially still likes to be carried. And um, I understand that that's not necessarily scenario recreation is, is what you're doing. You're kind of just uh, seeing what your surplus of skill is when all conditions are perfect. But I think that it's important to consider, and you're the perfect person to talk about this to now, especially having just had a small child of your own, what are some reality-based drills and things like that? You, you talked about carrying your range bag. Um, or even set up, like I will not carry my daughter on my right side because that's where I draw from. What other things like that are things that you feel like people should be working on more, seeing as how they're going out in the public where I have children, you have children. Uh, what should the gun carrying public be practicing so that we all feel just a whole lot more comfortable with our kids being in that space? Yeah. Stop, um, stop thinking you're at the range. That's the very first thing to do. I, it blows my mind. Even, I mean, a lot has changed. A lot has changed in the last seven years in the world of folks coming to learn concealed carry skill sets. And we have this phenomenal shift and trend right now to exactly what you're talking about. Real Reality-based scenario stuff that goes beyond specific skill cultivation, right? So yes, you should be able to achieve a sub one second and it be a good hit from concealment. Absolutely. Should we all try to master that? Of course we should. Right? Those are skills that we need to develop in, in many others as well. Should we have lightning fast reloads? Absolutely. Build those ingredients. Those are all just ingredients. Right. If you don't know how to actually go out there and fight through the problems in absolutely miserable cir circumstances that you don't control the context of and you can access those, great. But if you have only are building those skills in isolation, the petri dish that is the range, I've seen more people and I've been, we've all done it. If once you've stepped outside of the range context and been put to task in real scenario work, you will find where you're failing and you'll find the holes. And those holes are your ability to pluck and access and put to work those skill sets. So if you've not ever done that work, it's time. If you're, and if you, if you, aspire only to have the real the reels right the social media real work that's great but you need to go and actually put rubber to the road and go take the really uncomfortable miserable classes where you're going to come out all bruised and bumped like go hang out with craig douglas and let him rough you up you know but put it to test um nobody does great in those classes so expect to look like a disaster because everybody in them does that is 
the first thing that I wish everyone would be comfortable and willing to do. Look terrible. Go out there and take a class where you're going to look terrible and you're not going to be the top shooter. You're going to be the hot mess because you want to find out where you suck. And it's, it's so important, so important. Um, beyond that, it's a really tough look at your lifestyle and it's a really tough conversation with family. Um, everybody, there was something that came across my social media feeds and I think I reshared it because it's a really powerful message. If you were to be away, right, if you're going to go away for a year and you had to hire a security, someone to pull security for your family, the most precious of humans in your life, what would you want that resume to look like? Right? Who would you be picking? What are the qualifications? What are the skills? What is the experience that you'd want on behalf of your family? Then ask yourself if your resume is good enough. So all of the folks wow. think, you know, oh, I'm my family's first first defender. If we took all the names off the resumes and you threw yours down, would it be the first one you toss? Mm -hmm. And for most folks, the answer is yes. And that's a harrowing moment. And then it's a conversation with your family. Okay, so we're going to need to budget so that I can go and obtain the skills I'm missing, right? We're going to need to plan for that, time away, discretionary funds, right? Or save those funds, budget to save those funds because I need a med class. Or mm -hmm. I realize I need some force on force. Uh, good ones, by the way, not, not, you know, tactical stuff, but like legit ones. Um it's time we invest in a new security system for the house. You know, I just did. I looked out my window two days ago and there was a dude peering in the windows. When I called him out on it, he started running around the house like he was trying to get to the back door. I was Whoa. like, hey, all right, guess what? New cameras. Here we go. Right. Yeah. So did he know who you were like that <laughs> of all the people? So I walked into my living room and there's this guy peering into my living room windows. And when I called him out on it, of course, it's hot. So. All of the windows in the house are open on the ground floor. We're home, so I didn't give much thought to that. We live in the woods. I mean, who's coming to hang out? There's nothing here. Uh, I chased him through the house, window to window, and he was ran around the house, you know, looking like he was trying to get in or go to the back door. And by the time I got to where the back door was and was really calling out to him, he took off through the woods. So a police report later and uh, a nice hefty investment in some new outside security cameras, footage, and uh -huh. you know, motion sensor lighting and all of that goodness, time to upgrade the family systems. So we all talk about concealment. And again, I'll reference the sub one second draw. But what is the bigger picture for you and your family and your household? You're caring for you, but you're also caring for the people you love most. So you go home to them at the end of the day and so that you can protect them if you needed to. But we don't give enough attention in this concealed carry story to the bigger picture lifestyle. So yes, you should be thinking through how you would stage your on-body equipment. If you if you crack like a glow stick trying to take a knee, then perhaps ankle med kit is out. Just saying, you know, they're super cool. But if you cannot effectively take a knee and safely get back up, gun in hand or not, we need another place for that med kit. If you have children you're carrying in your what arm on what side, it should not be the gun or dominant hand side. The mom hit the kid on the non-gun side and then, well, then if that's the side you've been carrying your keys on, now you've got to switch the kid to the right side to get the keys out and then get the, put the kid in the other hand. Like these are the things I'm reliving and relearning in real time. 
then when you have to live with it, it's it's kind of fascinating. So the right side, if you're a righty, the right side of your body starts to weigh down. <laughs> There's like so much going on on yeah. the right side because the left has to be fairly free and free to access. You know, that's it's kind of a thing. Um, and then the other part of it is, I would say, comfort breeds complacency. And this is true for so many elements of our life. You know, when I had Mr. Man running around the house, I may have had my gun on me, but I didn't have my cell phone in my pocket. Mm. And my husband's first question was, did you get a picture of him? And I was like, that would have been great. But no, that wasn't what was happening in that specific moment. You know, so that made me really rethink, well, okay, maybe I'm going to throw my cell phone in my back pocket when I'm home. I carry my gun, but, you know, let's carry the cell phone on body too, because now I'm on like hyper mom alert. So let's make sure that that's within reach as well. And if you have equipment staged in your home, how quickly could you get to it? Because that dude ran around really fast. He got around my house very, very quickly. Uh, that was an eye-opening moment for me. And we don't have a small house. So he, he hauled. And uh, that was an interesting. That was interesting. Wow. Ever get any kind of indications of what he wanted or anything missing? No, nothing was missing. We don't really have anything outside except some old, you know, Home Depot lawn furniture. Super, super great. <laughs> there was nothing outside of wow. it. Wow. Well, that's very scary. And I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad everyone's okay. But um, yeah, that really, I'm sure, probably had to had to kind of make you do a lot of mental checking there as far as what you had where, uh, not just in your house, but on your body. So um, you said, I guess, since then you've just changed by keeping your phone keeping your phone on you so you could take a photo. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And now, you know, again, security. Like, how do you harden your home? We, I mean, again, concealed carry is just one piece. And we always envision it being when we're out in the world. But what about when you're home? I mean, how many of families these days work from home or one spouse is working from home? And what does your concealed carry on the weekends look like? You know, during COVID, we had some, I lived in a different town, but we had, you know, shed doors getting kicked in and people's first story glass windows. And I live in rural Maine. And, you know, if it was happening here, I mean, it's indicative of what's happening elsewhere in the country. So again, comfort breeds complacency. And we're, we all have soft spots in our defense story, both in our daily concealed carry and in our at-home strategies and also in our vehicles. Vehicles are another big piece of the concealed carry environment we have to consider. And I'm not just talking about like vehicle CQB, you know, like. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the hot phrase these days. It's super fun. If you haven't done it, you should do it. I mean, running around a car and shooting out target sticks from below them simulating other things and shooting through glass. It is so much fun. Highly recommend it. Go find a good instructor. Go play those games. Learn that stuff. Um, I probably, if you had to ask me, do that or defensive driving, I would do defensive driving. I want to drive mm. like Jason Bourne, right? Like I don't know. if I can get away, yes, I can go really fast, not have to do that. That's awesome. Uh, but again, med defensive driving, um, all of that stuff isn't aren't isn't necessarily the sexiest part of what it means to be a concealed carrier, but it's an absolutely huge one. And partly why I was super psyched when Walter put out our med kit. I was like, yes, we get it. That's awesome. I think that that brings up something too, though, is like it might not be the sexiest, coolest stuff you can do, but I think for a lot of people, it's going to wind up being realistically more likely to be used than, you know, 
especially drawing like a sub-second draw, like you're, you're probably statistically never going to need your firearm, hopefully. Um, however, like, uh, you, you know, I, I don't remember the name of the video and I apologize to the guy. It was, it was a Masada Ayub video I watched years ago. Um, he had a video about hardening your home and it, it wasn't, it had almost nothing to do with firearms, but it was how to answer a door safely. If you get a knock in the middle of the night, just how to, how to project your voice and where you could stand, how to light your home safely. So you're not, you know, just basically putting on a show for anybody who walks by your window. Um, and, and that stuff was all I found very, very interesting. Is that stuff that you've, you know, obviously studied as well, getting your home security system, but, uh, do you have any tips as far as lighting houses and answering doors and things like that, that have gone through your mind now that you've gone through this incident? Technology, embrace it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got so much on our fingertips now to not have to go to the door to see who's there. That's fantastic. You can even keep that recorded to a cloud. That you purchase those, whatever plan you're involved in, whatever system you choose. Um, I'm not endorsing anyone specifically, but seeing is believing. And I'd like to know, right? Uh, we have in-home security camera options, motion sensor stuff. There's, uh, before you go inside the home, light the outside of the home. Light is power. And we talk about, it's a force magnifier, right? That's the buzzword term around light and the gun stuff. And how much light do I want? All of it. And that's true both in my hands and in my environment. On the outside of my house, I want to control it on the inside of the house. So obviously, interior, you don't want to be casting shadows on windows or window coverings and surfaces. So if you were to um, you know, think of what would the outside world see, if, if I can see my shadow or my silhouette on the louver blinds, then they can see me too. So reposition the lighting in your bedroom to be closer to the windows so that the light is projecting those shadows against an interior wall, not if possible, not against the exterior walls that have the windows there. That's an easy one. And then as far as home defense stuff goes, you know, shadows are a big deal, dark holes that you can't see inside of or are scary places. Someone told me once the devil lives in every dark hole. And I took that very seriously when it came to, you know, night CQB stuff. And that changed my entire philosophy on how I'm going to move through a space and where I'm going to shine the light, how I'm going to learn about what's happening here. So if you can control the lighting within your environment, that's incredible. And you want to be in control of it. So should be no surprises in your home. If you can eliminate surprises, that's the best thing possible. How much have you replayed in your head um, different scenarios that the incident the other day could have played out? Oh, nonstop. Stop. I mean, who didn't sleep that night? I was like, okay, and then, and then, you know, <laughs> just I would have done this and this and this. Oh well, the one thing that I've done religiously and I've kind of laughed at myself while, every time I did it was every time I put the baby down for a nap in one specific room, I'd close and lock the windows in that room. It's on the yeah. ground floor and I will, I'm going to brace all of my paranoia after that. You know, mm -hmm. the shades are drawn, but the windows are closed and locked and you can absolutely hear this crying baby in there. It's not hard to tell. I've got teenagers who have headphones on. We've, we've changed that philosophy in our household. You know, you will not be, you will not not know if someone's in the house. There's a lot of little things that just, again, you become comfortable in your home. You should be a condition white in your home. You should feel comfortable with that in your own home. But are you in, are you keeping your eyes up, even just looking around? I had just walked the dog. I didn't see anybody in the yard. He didn't 
present mm. himself at that point. I just walked in the house from walking the dog, closed the door, walked from the kitchen into the living room, and this dude's like right up against the house. We got a long driveway. There's no one around us. How long was he out there? He had to, you know, you start trying to unpack the person's motivation in their mind. That'll give you nightmares for months. But yes, um, the thing I, the only thing that I didn't have that I really wanted to have was the ability to record him, mm-hmm. so I could report with more informed information, uh, get a visual and capture that visual and have my phone in my hands. Because had it not gone very great, um, I wouldn't have been able to communicate in the moment, in the location that I was in, in my home. And who has landlines in every bedroom or every room anywhere? Right. That doesn't exist. So access to communication would have been, is really the biggest piece that made me feel, that was the biggest hole in my plant. That was where I was the most vulnerable, not able to communicate. I, I honestly could not remember where my phone was when I needed, when I was ready to like, you know, go Vercingetorix and burn everything down around you. And like, just like in, in the moments oh, out. Still though, good good for you for even having your gun on you in your own home. I know a lot of people, you know, they come home at the end of the day or even when just when they get in their car and it's like, all right, it goes in the glove box and that's where it lives. Well, what that show, you know, I was telling, I was asked why I carry concealed in the house and I said because, the, you know, Transformers or whatever they're called. And I laughed, my dad laughed, and the toaster laughed. And I shot yeah, him. there you go. So that's the, the funny ha-ha. And I didn't tell the joke right. I totally blew it. But you get the idea. You know? <laughs> We've all seen the meme. Yeah, we all have internet it's connections. That's why we're here. It's a thing. Um, but, you know, I went from living in suburbia right outside of a fairly large main city where it was, you know, people were coming around and, again, kicking in doors and breaking glass. And you just don't don't like that feeling. Plus, it's for me, if I'm wearing the gun all day, it doesn't come off until I'm ready to jump in the shower or go to bed. So it's still on me. And it should, you should hopefully get to the place where in your concealment experience that you feel more vulnerable without it on than you do when you have it on. So regardless of the minor irritation of going through the hassle of gearing up and all of that stuff, if you put on your Apple Watch or you, you know, whatever stuff you put on a regular basis, if the gun becomes just a habitual part of that package, your ability to communicate, your ability to summon help if you need it, the ability to access information and options when you need it, the gun becomes a very vital part of that story. So for me, it's kind of a nat- normal thing. It's weird when I can't wear it. That's kind of the goal I tell my students. You should feel weird not being able to wear the gun, not weird wearing the gun that's kind of like that's the transition from noob to i've got this that's how you arrived (laughs) well i I guess speaking towards the comfortability of firearms and and people need to carry what's comfortable for them i think that's a pretty good segue to get into uh, the f series um is that still your main squeeze yes it is and people ask me if it's the if i carry the three and a half or the four and it doesn't matter i carry either or um the enigma is happy with both so they both get carried and um, I don't see for me it's a negligible difference um, for some folks it makes a big difference but personally I can bounce between either and I'm, I'm quite happy uh, I don't have it super super duper tricked out I love it just as it came out of the box that's my next question I know um, I've had I have some firearms that you trick your ride because yes because it's awesome and fun and you can and who doesn't love being a gun nerd I, I mean really but my carry gun is, it's, she just came around. They're girls, by the way. Oh, 
Um, so she's just as she came out of the box. I do have a Trijicon RMR atop it because I'm about that red dot life. Um, and that's really all I've done to change uh, or add to the firearm itself. I'm just, I love it. I love that I can reach everything. I love that I don't have to, I'm in complete command of all of the controls on the gun. I don't have to make any adjustments. I don't have to shimmy. I don't have to do any tweaks. I have complete control one-handed. Awesome if I get two hands in the game. And that to me is huge. That's really, that's the game changer. I, I'm even if yours isn't tricked out, I've been really excited to see that uh, like the aftermarket is also supporting the F series, and and that's been something cool. I've got to test out some of the stuff, which has been like um, lock grips. Uh, lock grips, I, I know for sure has brass back straps, which I'm a huge fan of on any of the PDPs. And when they did that for the F series, thought that was cool. They did magwells. Um, yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. I think Overwatch Precision is is about to finish up their trigger for the F series, which is interesting because it's a different trigger than the the PDP. So we didn't know if anybody was going to jump on doing that, and oh. Overwatch did. So yeah, um, got a lot of students who are going to be super psyched because they they love their Overwatch fans. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Locke does the cool colors and stuff too, which everybody's mine's all blue and like brass. It looks really cool. I I, I carry my F series. I think at this point more than I carry my big PDP. Um, just because it is comfortable. I even have, I have big hands and, you know, it's funny people be like, oh, you didn't, you, uh, you made this huge mistake by marketing that towards, and I'm like, uh, I mean, like I carry one, I'm pretty sure I'm not a woman and like Bill Rapier carries one and I don't think he is and Jim Dexter and like all these guys carry them and just, it, it seems like a silly thing to concern yourself with when you're talking about a life-saving tool. I guess what other gear are you, uh, you, you said the Enigma is your main squeeze as far as holster carry? carry an f-series in there are are there any um do you ever go to like a pps do you ever go to like a single stack type of gun i um yes i wore one on my ankle at my wedding okay so yes <laughs> i do have the i do have the pps um and that's really for where uh, i'll call it the most minimalistic on body is required so mm. i'm not a big you know and i live in maine the opportunities to wear ball gown or slim, but there have been a couple where, you know, weddings or, you know, big events where you're in a gown or, you know, like pantsuit kind of a thing. And you got to look all gorgeous and, you know, you got to show off that hourglass figure and putting a gun there is not, you, that doesn't work. So ankle carry, uh, when I, I would rather ankle carry because I do have the range of motion to get there. Um, then purse carry or off body carry. So I will wear that gun, um, in a, like the wilderness tactical holster for that one okay and i love it wonderful it's an awesome little gun awesome uh can you tell us about girl in a gun um for those that don't know just kind of maybe go over what it is that they do and how they're organized absolutely a girl in a gun is the country's largest women's shooting organization we have over 200 i think over 250 chapters now nationwide and counting we're growing exponentially month over month it is a women's shooting league or club, so to speak, but it's so much more than just to get together and giggle and shoot things. This is a, a group of thousands of serious, committed female shooters. They are dedicated to training, evidentiary in our national conference that we hold once a year out in Colorado. Uh, we have 600 plus women and over 100 instructors and staff that join us, and these ladies throw down and do some solid shooting so it's not if you don't let the pastel colors fool you don't let the girl and a girl and a gun fool you 
These ladies are legitimate shooters and they come at all ages, at all skill levels, of all interests from hunting to precision rifle to we just had Drift Academy where they're out there learning how to like burn it down on a race course and vehicle stuff. I mean, it's so much fun. Armors, courses, it's incredibly comprehensive from competition to defensive and all of the different art sporting clays and things that you can do. It's incredibly, I, I want to do it all. I mean, I'm the director of training. I, there's things that we hold that I'm like, I got to find, I've got to find a way to go run a race car now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and at the, at the local level, uh, we have chapters again, all over the country and hundreds of ranges and again, we're opening them hand over fist a month. It's just incredible how much it's grown and it's growing. It's really rooted in safety and education. And that's what it's all about. Um, it is so much fun to shoot, but we put a ton of emphasis into growing the individual, whatever their interests may be, from enthusiast to someone who's a very serious enthusiast or an incredible competitor or personal protector. Very cool. Um, yeah, I got to do... Uh, so Walther's a big sponsor of, of Girl and a Gun. And uh, we got to do, I think last year we were there, we were there the year before, we, we like to go every year. And the amount of instructors and the amount of knowledge that you can learn, like uh, I think Jim Dexter was teaching medical stuff up on a hill. Yes. And then we had like Nick Young teaching target transitions down there. Like, and it's, and it's such a beautiful range. If you've never been to the Cameo range out there in Colorado, it's, it was really a great time. Everybody had an awesome time. And, and yeah, just uh, Gabby was doing like a comp a competitive class and there, you can learn anything out there. And I just thought that that was so cool that that resource is available. Um, where can people go to learn uh, more and, and sign up? A girl in a gun .org, And you can find a, you can type in your location, find chapters that are near you, click your state and see what's available. It's also an incredible resource. If you're looking for a range somewhere, if you're traveling somewhere looking for a range that you want to know if it is safe and reputable and probably has running water and flushing toilets, just find out where we host a chapter because those are typically qualities that are required for us to be there. Not always bathrooms. If we get really lucky, we make bathrooms. But <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a great way to vet our ranges because if they host a chapter of a girl and a gun, you know they are female friendly, they are training enthusiasts themselves, and they support a variety of different skill sets. What would you say to maybe there's a, a young lady out there who's listening to this and, and is thinking like, man, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, but uh, I'm not good enough yet to go and, and sign up for something like that. Well, none of us are good enough. Not, and that's kind of the beauty of the gun stuff is I don't care if you think that you're an incredible competitor. If you ask the most elite shooters, they'll tell you they're not good enough. So we all think that. That's the first thing I like to tell people. All of us feel like we're not good enough. But there's so much fun in that. There's so much opportunity. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to want to come and play. And if you want to come and participate, you are going to be welcomed with open arms. I hear this all the time. The firearm shooting space is some of the most welcoming, stereotype shattering communities that people have ever walked into. You expect Elmer Fudd and you meet like unbelievable humans with incredible life stories who are so thrilled that you're there. They will, you know, move mountains, roll out a red carpet and welcome you with open arms. That's how it should be. And that's what it's predominantly like in the firearms community. And that's not your experience. You walked into the wrong range and look up a girl in a gun and find one that you know you will be welcome at. Um, the 2A community wants to grow and we want people to join us. So it's not a closed door, good old boy experience. 
that most people would like to think it is. And all of us think we suck. <laughs> you meet someone that's like, I'm amazing. You're like, no, dude, <laughs> that's a that's a rookie move. Right? <laughs> so come and play. Just come and hang out. And from wherever you are, if you're brand new, you have no bad, no bad habits to break. If you're coming back after a while, great. We'll pick back up. You know, it's somewhat riding a bike, somewhat. Hey, look how much the how much we've learned in the 10 years since you last shot, how much the industry has learned and trainers have learned. And let's show you what's new and see if we can grow you from there. So there's always an opportunity. Yeah. One thing I noticed too, that was really cool to see was there were a lot of uh, like mother, daughter and and like sister groups that yeah. would go. And uh, I thought that was super cool. It's become like a, a, like a family thing and people are, you know, experiencing the joy of firearms ownership as a family, which is, uh, you know, it's not only cool to see from a family building standpoint, but, you know, from a second amendment building standpoint, we love to see that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, what are things other than shooting skills that you think relate specifically to, uh, to being a parent? How much you share with the world about who your children are and what your family is made of. I just went to a middle school and a high school orientation. And walking by the vehicles in the lot, I know, obviously, where all of these kids go to school. Uh, the proud parent stickers are all over it. The team stickers are all over. The stick figure families are on all the cars, right? Some of them have a dog icon. Some of them don't. Um, peek in the window, see the male that's sitting on their, on their floor or on their passenger seat. Now I know their name and their home address. You have a town, like the town I lived in before this one, I had a deal with the town dump guys where I would answer all their gun questions if they knew who I was and I didn't have to put the town's name dump sticker on my windshield hmm. because I didn't want people to know what town I lived in, right? So how much are you, how much information are you willingly giving away about your family? And given that vehicles are the number one location where guns are being stolen from in this country... How much branding, Mole and Labe, come and take it, punish your skulls, you know, even like- if Are you, you looking at my car right now? I know, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, even if they're not in your vehicle, you're, you, they know that that's in your home. So mm -hmm. now you're drawing attention to yourself, to your family, to your world. You're teaching people about where you live, what's your family's made up of, what they can expect to find there, uh, valuables, people, all of that stuff. So how much are you giving away and how vulnerable are you making your family as a result? How much of a target from oversharing or bragging or feeling proud? And again, I mean, this could be considered an infringement on your First Amendment rights. You do you. But I'd like to have the most boring minivan in the lot. I do not want to draw more attention to my family. So if you're a concealed carrier, your job is to disappear. The gun needs to disappear you need to not stick out in a crowd as much as possible. You need to have the most boring car in the parking lot. You need to have a strategy to get your children in that five-point harness, time it. How long does it take you to click that baby in? That's something most parents have never tried, right? Especially when you're anxious, amped up, and dude's approaching you in the parking lot, and you're trying to click the baby into the thing, and the kid's trying to do somersaults in the chair, and you're trying to, like, NASCAR harness them in while keeping an eye on Mr. Creepy Pants and, you know, the teenager as are asking you questions because their headphones are in and you're still trying to keep an eye on them. That was two weeks ago. 
you know? So yeah, you know, it's, it's not always going to go great. It's going to go really bad when you have a family and things get sporty and we all feel like ninjas on the range, but man, do you feel vulnerable and like, you don't know squat when your kids are actually with you and stuff is actually happening. So I encourage people to be aware that is the very first thing and it's easy to do, right? It's easy to do the stuff. So go out and like razor blade off all those stickers, make your car boring, goo gone the, the glue off and just benign your vehicle. Um, sanitize your social media if that's a concern for you. In the high school orientation, they were talking about kids with protection orders against other kids. Like this is beyond my brain. Like this is I'm still trying to process this. So how much are you exposing in your social media about your family? And it's a choice every time you share something out into the world. And it's a public public story. How much are your children sharing about your family? That's another big thing based on their ages. So this is simple stuff. And again, it has nothing to do with the gun. But how much attention you, on what kind of attention you should expect to have to deal with in the event people want to learn more about you up close and personal. And beyond that, I mean, what do you, what are your, if you want to play the shot timer game, how long does it take you to load everybody into the car? When I was mm-hmm. pregnant, we played a game. My kids are young teens now. So we played this game. We got out of the grocery store from the time we were about three cars away. My daughter would hit the timer on her cell phone, throw it in her back pocket. And it was how quickly could we get everything in the car, Right. And I always park next to the cart return, so that's easy. And then everybody in and lock the door. And the first time we did it, it took like 70-something seconds. We kept practicing it. We got it down to like 21 to 25 seconds. We can never break the 21-second mark, but man, we were trying really hard. (laughs) It became a game, and that game was really telling. I mean, here we are talking about sub-one seconds. It took 21 seconds for me to get my family into the car. And they were capable of buckling themselves in and opening their own doors. So that was, that's an eye opener. You know, if we all love the, we want to play the range games in our real life. That's a fun experiment to play. Truly. If you've got to it, do you put the bucket down? What do you do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Um, there, there needs to be, I think, a lot more push and there are really just a lot more available classes and things like that, just like family-based survival type training or, or just stuff to, to kind of harden up, you know, your four walls. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be something that um, I, I know I personally would enjoy it, um, but uh, I, I don't know how much is out there. What was the name of the class you'd mentioned again, just so, you know, we can throw that out there, give them a, a little bit of love? It's called the Armed Guardian and they don't know I'm talking about them. So go guys. Uh, okay. Chris Oakford is an instructor. I believe Melody Lauer heads it up now. Citizens Defense Research is the name of the company. Highly recommend them. They're an outstanding group of people doing really good work. As far as the family goes, though, not I mean, that's that's one class. So if you are able to get to one of their locations, rock on. If you're a family with, I'd say, 12-year-old and up kiddos, take a Stop the Bleed class with them all. Bring them all to a stop the bleed class. It's about two and a half hours now is the layperson's version. And they've taken out all the gory, gruesome videos. So it's not going to freak out little children anymore. It used to. Now it's now it's gentle. So, you know, a little antiseptic, but you get what we're going Um, See if they can't torque down a windlass. You know, they get a certificate. It's fantastic. My kids did it as part of homeschool. It was great, right? Oh, blew their minds. 
Um, if they're of age, old enough, and the instructor will allow it, see if you can't get them into a pepper spray class and take it with them. You know, your young people might not be able to carry a gun, but they should know how to use a tourniquet. And if, if it's appropriate, could they use pepper spray? Should they use pepper spray? These are all incredible parts of our, our EDC kits that we can take everywhere. Why wouldn't we want to educate our family members how to do those same skills? And that's a family building, team building exercise. It's super, super valuable. And if your children are old enough, don't put them in a class, firearms class. Take the class with them. Put yourself on the other end of the line, right? Um, don't don't helicopter. Let the instructor parent them, right, within reason. Let them do their job. But I have a lot of young people come to classes, and it's an outstanding opportunity. Vet your instructors. Make sure it's appropriate. You know, the instructor is going to be appropriate. However, it's an incredible opportunity to build that rapport, and they also need to see you as the competent person with those tools. And you set the example. If you want them to take it seriously, give them an opportunity to see you taking it seriously and putting in the work and failing and making the corrections and doing it. Um, that is one of the most powerful tools. I had a father with his four teenage daughters come and take a defensive class. And it was an amazing experience, really for all of us, for everyone in the class. It was this amazing thing to watch this family unit morph and the conversations they were having. Like, you know, we're never going to sit in a booth at a restaurant ever again because I don't want to be in the inside because I can't see and I'll be able to get out. I can't flip the table. And it was like they were just already as a family unit strategizing and unpacking ideas. And it was beautiful. It was so much fun. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. When it when if when they're old enough, do it together. Take the classes. Yeah. together. Where can people go to learn more about you? Certainly. Easiest way is my name. TatianaWhitlock.com will take you to my website. That will show you my traveling course schedule across the country. If you're interested in a girl and a gun, it's a girl and a gun.org. And if you're looking to come up and hang out in the state of Maine, check out Howells, H-O-W-E-L-L-S, Howells Gun Shop. That's my home base range. Super fun. Gorgeous. I love it. Awesome. Well, Tatiana, we're we're huge fans of you here at Walther. And, you know, we love having you around. We appreciate you being part of the defense division and, and just all the the help and love that you've shown us now over the years. So we couldn't be happier than to be associated with you. And, uh, you know, we wish you obviously the best and we will certainly have you back. Um, I definitely want to hear more about training with a young one as you continue, well, as she continues to grow and as you continue to learn more. So um, thank you so much for stopping by. Um, for the listener, I believe our next episode we have scheduled uh, is Scott Jedlinski. That'll be out then the following month. Um, and then I believe after that, we either we have Taylor Weldon and Jay Beal uh, scheduled then later for this year. But stick around for those episodes. They'll be great. Tatiana, again, thank you so much for stopping by. We will see you another time. Sounds good. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walther Radio. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. At Walther Arms, it's our duty to create the world's best performing firearms. It's your duty to be ready. Thanks again for listening.